What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 22. My name is James Scully. Today on Breaking Walls, we introduce the theme for September. September's theme is going to be back to school slash learning. And the perfect person to open the month of September is going to be Eric Gorgeous. Eric is currently the host of PBS's A Craftsman's Legacy, which will be rolling out season two in markets starting this week. But Eric is also someone who used to work in the nine to five corporate world. And after a life-changing health crisis, he left that world and realized that his passion was actually building motorcycles. So Eric, who's from Detroit, opened up Voodoo Choppers and has been running Voodoo Choppers where he makes custom motorcycles for 17 years. Before I go on, as I always say, you can get these podcasts by going to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers. If you follow us on SoundCloud, anytime that we have recently released a track, if you go to your SoundCloud feed, it'll appear as one of the recent tracks that you're following. You can also subscribe via iTunes. Go to iTunes, type out The Wallbreakers, and hit subscribe. Then I'll ask you to please rate us, review us, tell a friend, tell two friends. Word of mouth is the only way that this podcast is getting spread. And I want to thank everybody who's been doing that. And I want to thank you for all of your support and your feedback. It's September on The Wallbreakers. And if you're new to The Wallbreakers experience, and this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, The Wallbreakers podcast, I want you to know that each month we change our overall topic of discussion on The Wallbreakers. This month's topic is learning slash back to school. And that, of course, is because in September, kids go back to school. Within that topic, we're going to speak to Eric Gorgeous about changing careers midstream. And we are going to build a craftsman's legacy today with Eric. Also, starting today, something is going to be a little different about the podcast schedule here on The Wall Breakers. I had previously been releasing podcasts twice a month on the 1st and the 15th, but because the feedback has been so great, because there are so many interesting people that are out there in this world that I could possibly talk to and help share their story with you, I am now going to be switching the podcast schedule to add a third interview each month. So from here on out, we will release podcasts on the 1st of the month, the 10th of the month, and the 20th of the month. So every 10 days, there will be a new podcast coming out, you know, except for the time between the 20th and the 1st if there's a 31-day month or a 28-day month. But you get the picture. So from now on, podcast tres times per month, the 1st, the 10th, and the 20th. And it's because of wonderful guests like Eric Gorgeous, that I can make this possible, that I can push myself to have the time to sit down and talk with these people. Because just like you might learn something today from the interview with Eric Gorgeous, I absolutely learned something from Eric. And you take the things that you learn, the other people's legacies, and everybody, we all have a legacy. Everything that we do is part of our legacy. You take the things that you can learn from other people's legacies, and you bring them into yours. And that's how knowledge and information gets passed down generation to generation. We can call it anything else we like. We can use any kind of medium that we want to use. But the truth is that all of our legacies will be shared with everyone else's. So it's up to us 
to keep getting out there and breaking those walls so that more people can connect with each other. And on that note, I'm going to keep the intro right here because I want to get right to the interview with Eric Gorgeous. It's a great interview. You can hear the passion in his voice as he speaks about the things that he cares about. So keep it right here for Breaking Walls episode 22, Changing Careers Midstream. Hey guys, welcome back to Breaking Walls. My guest today is the host of PBS's A Craftsman's Legacy, and he also is the owner of Voodoo Choppers in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Our theme today is changing careers midstream, and we're going to be building A Craftsman's Legacy with Eric Gorgeous. So I want to welcome Eric to the podcast. Hey man, how are you? Good, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today, and I'm really excited for the upcoming season of A Craftsman's Legacy. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited about it myself. On the opening, and I'm assuming, obviously, that this means a lot to you, because on the very beginning of The Craftsman's Legacy, you mentioned that the 9-to-5 world was something that you worked in, and you were chasing money and titles, and that it almost broke you. And after a life-changing crisis, you decided to change your career midstream. I wonder if you'd be comfortable with talking a little bit about what led up to that. Oh, sure. Yeah. I know for myself when I was younger, you know, your priorities are a lot different in life and you look at things a lot differently. And, you know, for me, I just wanted to, I wanted to work in a, in a corporate environment and was hoping to make a whole bunch of money one day and have a cool, fancy car and a nice house and yada, 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 and all the, all the stuff that goes with it. And I, I was well on my way. You know, I worked for a corporate company for a number of years. I got in there real young and, and I loved what I did, honestly. But I ran into some sickness issues and some health issues and it really made me reevaluate my entire life and, and what was important with me and, and what wasn't. And once I sat down and did that, I realized that I was truly happy when I was making things and working with my hands. So that's where it all started, honestly. And it was just a matter of deciding, all right, well, I enjoy woodworking and I enjoy metalworking, but metalworking to me is just a little more of a reach. You know, okay. I've always been a gearhead. I'm, you know, born and raised in Detroit, love cars, motorcycles, anything with a motor on it. And that was just a real natural thing for me to pursue that. So do you think also, like you're mentioning, you were a metalhead, a motorhead, a, you come from a family of woodworkers, having that background when you decided to leave, did you feel comfortable then because you said, well, I know my passions that I can fall back on and do something with. Do you think maybe if you had come from a family of, let's say, I don't know, your, your dad was a lawyer, you would have felt more pressure to stay in that environment? Or was it so bad, the nine to five world for your health and mentality that you would have been like, no, no way, I'm out of here no matter what? You know, the interesting thing was is that my grandfather was a, a master cabinet maker, okay? My dad is a, a woodworker. But it's always been a hobby for his. So he never made a living doing that. He's an entrepreneur, but he's always worked office jobs. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, worked with a suit. So I saw that and I wanted to do that too. But yeah, it was scary, you know, because I was leaving a, a huge corporation that I could have retired from easily, easily. And, 
you leave that security, you leave your health insurance, you leave your paid vacation, you leave, you leave everything behind, right? And now you're walking into this world where I didn't really have anything to go by. I didn't have any clients or customers. I didn't have any name recognition. I didn't have anything, you know, so it's a leap of faith. What I did do was I, I wanted to learn to become a metal shaper. I wanted to learn how to make anything out of sheet metal. And I took an apprenticeship with one of the best metal shapers in the States. And I worked with him for a couple of years. And that really gave me the knowledge and, and the ability to go after more work and you know, start hanging a shingle type of thing or hanging a sign and saying, hey, I'm open for business. Ron Fournier, he's incredibly influential to you. And you're learning on-the-job training when you're an apprentice there. You know, I'm assuming you're about 30 years old. A 30-year-old guy walks into a metal shop and says, can you bring me on as an apprentice? How is that received when you do that? I was in my late 20s, you know, when this all came about. So it wasn't too bad. You know, I was reading anything I could find and talking to anybody I could find that understood metal shaping. And this was before it took off. Uh, before the TV shows and everything else. So an English wheel wasn't, was, you know, at that time still a machine that was, that not a lot of people had heard of or had seen. They just weren't really used that much anymore. And metal shaping in and of itself was very, very much a dying craft. So when I found Ron and discovered he was like right in my backyard, I started going there all the time. In the middle of the day, I'd go there at night, I'd go there. Whenever I had a chance, I would stop in there and say hi and talk to Ron and get to know the guys. And and I did that for probably a year. And then eventually I walked in there one day and he said, hey, you know, uh, we've got a pretty big size job coming up and I need to uh, hire another apprentice. And he says, you know anybody? A week later, I started there. A lot of what you were just talking about prior to leaving your nine to five, a lot of it has to do with emotions. You're scared to take that jump because of everything that you're giving up. Once you did it, what did it feel like? Were you still scared? Did it feel like a weight had been lifted off your shoulders? You had the free time to walk into a guy's metal shop and start talking. So in a way that had to feel great too, because you're not rolling out of bed at the crack of dawn to do the commuter's life. The thing about making a decision like that is that, in my opinion and from my eyes, you can never look back. Once you make that decision and you said to yourself, you know what, I'm young and if this doesn't work out, uh, something will work out, I'll find a way. And then you don't look back at it anymore and because everything changes. You go from having a life and a work life to just having a life. Your work life and your personal life merge, basically. You don't really have that separation anymore, especially in the beginning, because you're you know, so encompassed and engrossed in everything that you're doing. And for me, it was always about learning and becoming better at what I do. So I, I, it was, it's always been fun. I never went to college. So for me, this was sort of like going to college. You know, it's, it's just every day I'm there. I'm always learning. And even now, I, I learn every day. But I'm assuming also because it's your passion, it never feels quite like a job in the same way too, right? You're learning, but it's what you love. A lot of people say that. And there's some truth to that too. You know, it it doesn't feel like a job, right? But I'll tell you what, it really does feel like a job when you're trying to figure out how to pay your guys, 
pay your bills, pay your rent. You know, you got people barking at you and you've got X amount of dollars and you need to sustain for another 45 days or whatever that time period is. And you got to figure out how to make it stretch. Yeah, those times it really does. <laughs> it really does feel like a job. But it's, I think it's the belief and the love and the passion that you have and the willingness to say, yeah, you know what? Nah, it'll all be okay. I'll figure it out. And I'm not shy about it, man. I've made a lot of financial mistakes in my time. And many times you got to cut down to one meal a day because that's what you got. That's what you can afford to eat. And macaroni and cheese is a luxury. And ramen noodles are, that's a go-to food for you, man, because it's a quarter. (laughs) You know, it's just how life was and is at times. Let me ask you this. Before we even go on and get into any of the, the details, has it been worth it? Do you regret that you ever left? You say you can't look back. Oh, no. I agree with you. I don't regret anything because, yeah, I made a lot of stupid errors. I did a lot of things that maybe I shouldn't have done. But you know what? Right now, Voodoo Choppers is still in business. We're still building motorcycles for clients all around the U.S. I still love what I do. And now I've got another business that produces a a television show that I absolutely love doing, you know, and I feel I I live a blessed life. So you go through hard times, but those hard times, I think, you know, they teach you to really appreciate it when things aren't so hard and you're not living in a basement. (laughs) Also, you're talking about sometimes you don't have a meal to eat or you're having to eat ramen and stretch it out or you're eating tuna and white rice and things like that. Getting through those times, can I ask you, Inside, Eric, the man, knowing that you've built up that resistance that, like you're saying, like, let's say Voodoo Choppers closed in two years. You wouldn't be dead in two and a half years. You'd figure out something else. That ability to be vulnerable and to figure things out. Can you expand on what that's like to somebody who's maybe 23, 24, trying to figure out their life as well? Oh, yeah. At the time when you're going through it, I felt like a complete failure. You feel like an ass. You know what I mean? Like... And at the time, you sit there and you're like, oh, man, I'm pretty thick-headed here, but something's going to break really soon. You know, sometimes think that you're just too stupid to give up, right? I'm just too stupid to say no and uncle, right? And go back to a normal job, as I say, you know? Yeah, many times you just feel like an idiot or a failure or you're wondering if, man, is this the right thing? But I don't regret it at all. And I'm grateful for the experience. I'm grateful for getting sick and going through that experience. And I'm grateful for other experiences that I've been through low money and no money. (laughs) Right. But had you gone back to that world at some point, somebody would making custom choppers that wouldn't be you, but at the same time, there would be a void of creativity potentially in your life. And you talk about how you think everybody is a craftsman or a creative person. I agree with that very, very much so. At the corporate world, things are done by committee. You know, you got to make sure that everybody thinks this is a safe decision to make before you do it, which is the opposite of going to business for yourself and trying to make something work. You're putting yourself way out there and you might fall and hurt yourself in the process. But you're going around, you're interviewing blacksmiths, glass blowers, these people that are doing awesome creative things to help quell that fear of, can I make it? Just by talking to you tonight, I'm going to learn things and it's going to help me someday down the line. How do you feel about that? That maybe we're losing the craftsman in all of us as we go forward. How can we bring that back out into the forefront? 
You know, that was always one of the biggest goals that I personally had with the show. A really, really dear friend of mine who was instrumental in helping me connect the dots and, and get the show off the ground finally. One of the first things he said to me was sit down and write down, what are your goals in doing this show? And no matter what it is, there's no right or wrong. It's your personal goals, you know? And, and one of them was, and still is, to help people realize that there's nothing outside of their own personal reach. Anybody can do this stuff. There's nothing magical about it. Yeah, it takes time to learn. And, and these people that I'm working with are amazing craftsmen, all of them. And they have amazing skills. But I know for a fact None of them were born and knew exactly how to make a knife, No, knew exactly how to carve a, a bow out of one piece. Everybody starts from day one at some point in time. And for some people, it comes a little easier than others, but I truly believe everybody has the abilities in them. It's just a matter of, find, one, finding what interests you and what you're good at, and then helping you find that combination to unlock it and teach you the dexterity of your hands and working with your eyes and your hands. I think everybody can do it. Are you seeing in your area of the country in Detroit, and you're traveling all over the place too for the show and sure in general, do you see less and less people being craftsmen or are you seeing a resurgence at the same time of people with a DIY thumb? Yeah, you know, right now I think we're in a good place. I think for a long time, our society had really taken a step back from handcrafted goods and handcrafted items. And the craftsman wasn't always looked at as somebody that works with their hands and is able to make a good living at it and be happy, right? I think a lot of times people were looking at craftsmen as like a secondary thing, you know, well, whatever they wanted to do didn't work out. So now they're working with their hands type of thing. Did, am I making sense? Yeah, that does make sense. I think a lot of people at one point in time looked at trades like that. And now I think that's changing, thank God, because that's that's far from the truth. I mean, I'm really grateful that corporations are now trying to explain to everybody how their item is handcrafted because it brings value. Consumers and people are starting to understand that things that are made with their hands bring value in many ways. Sometimes because, you know, you've got something that somebody else built with their bare hands and that has a part of them in it. Yeah, absolutely. I actually recently, I read this article with Mike Rowe. He wrote the article actually. And he talked about how when he was in high school in the, I guess, late 1970s, there was a poster that said work smarter, not harder. And the guy working smarter was like he had a college you know, diploma in his hand, and the guy working harder was like a guy coming out of a coal mine. Yeah. But without tradesmen, somebody, there, there needs to be a balance. There's going to be people who need to file paperwork in the world, and if somebody likes to do that, God bless them. But there's got to be somebody who can build something with their hands too because who's going to program the machine to know how to even make a decent copy of, of a handmade thing if nobody knows how to make it? And that's what I'm trying to say, that stereotype, I think. And a lot of people look at it, and they think, oh, a craftsman is somebody that they didn't go to college. They didn't do this. They didn't do that right. Man, I'll tell you, I know a whole bunch of people that have decorative papers from colleges on their walls, and they are the dumbest people I've ever met. 
and you, I can barely hold a conversation with him because, I, you know, it's just like, dude, you're just a complete dumbass. I don't know how you got through school, but you're boring as hell. And it's all about knowledge and being true to yourself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned, obviously, that you had a nine-to-five job at one point. You walked away from guaranteed money. You could potentially make more at Voodoo Choppers in a given year than you could have at a given year at your nine-to-five prorated to today's salaries. But how important do you think it is for people to forsake money for doing something they want? You make good money working your rear end off at Voodoo Choppers, but I think most of the reason why that is the case is because you're doing something that you love. Well, I think the term is good money, right? And what's good money to you and what you need to live happily it is going to be completely different for me and for everybody. And that's really the question you have to answer. It's not, are you going to make $100,000 or $50,000 or $10,000 a year doing this? It's what do you want out of life and what do you need out of life? And if what you need out of life, if you feel that you need a stack, of money and a certain amount of money every year to do that, then that's one of your goals, you know, and that's what you have to shoot for. Whether you're working with your hands or you're not, that's what's going to make you happy or so you feel. One thing I learned very quickly is that I can live pretty happy without a whole lot of money. And over the years, you know, you start getting rid of everything and giving stuff away and shrinking things down a little bit, right? Yeah. And I'm good with that, honestly. I think the less I have, the more I have, if that makes sense. You know, the less the less crap I have around me, the happier I am. Now, that doesn't hold true at the shop, though, because, you know, my shop is just full of tools and machinery, and I can't get enough of it. But at my house, I'm okay with little. The tools are also your grown-up toys, too, in a way, of course. Well, it's how you put food on the table. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things I did when I started Voodoo was I literally put every penny back into the company for a number of years and lived off of hardly anything. I lived off of side jobs. If I took in a little welding job or something like that for somebody, set that money aside. And, and I also at the time had a wife that was in a position that I was able to do that. But that's one thing, you know, I think sometimes towards that I happened to last year I'm from New York City I left New York and I was able to get rid of about 80% of what I owned and the day that I threw that first thing away I had to get rid of it and I couldn't believe I was doing it and by the time that I threw the 80th percent away I was happy I did but also what you just said you had a wife that could help you there we have to rely on other people if we're going to run our own business it, Oh, it's, you not, do. it's not Eric versus the world. Like if you're part of this world, you need this world. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, with Voodoo Choppers, there's always been a ton of people that have helped me, not only like physically at the shop, but I'm just, you know, support people you could talk to, people that will help connect the dots for you. And with the TV show, I mean, holy smokes, man. I couldn't go down the list of people in a short period of time. I mean, there's so many people that put this show together and all the behind the scenes stuff and all the phone calls and all the, just everything from, you know, finding and casting to, you know, social media and, and just everything. There's so many different people and it's amazing. Do you believe that if you're true to yourself, 
you'll know the difference between good pride and bad pride. Like if you're afraid to reach out to somebody that you know can help you, that seems to me like foolish pride, but how do you stay clear and true to yourself? I don't really know how any other way to live. I wouldn't want to live any other way. I don't lie. I don't steal. I try to do right by people. You know what I mean? I, I really truly try to live in the manner that I would hope other people treat me. And that's really important to me. Even at the shop at Voodoo, I mean, one of the hardest things to do for me is to say, we brought this job in and I'm going to have this job done in X number of days. That is the hardest thing for me to do. And you know why? Because everything we do is completely handmade. And some days I'm on and some days I'm not. And some days I just cannot see it. And I need a couple days to figure it out, you know, or I need time to figure it out. But one thing I've always done is, you know, I've never bullshitted or lied to customers, man. You know, you take some licks. Some people get fairly upset if their project's not done on time. And sometimes you have to. You do whatever you have to to make sure it's done on time. But sometimes you just got to be straight with people and say, hey, this is where we're at. I'm doing everything I can to get you done. And I know when it's done, you're going to love it. Please trust me. I remember on the woodworking episode of A Craftsman's Legacy, you mentioned, you joked with the guy, you know how many times I've welded something on backwards or something? Oh. <laughs> because you make everything by hand, does that help you take things one step at a time? Because you can't rush it. You're building this with your hands. It has to take, because you're saying, I hate having to tell people, oh yeah, I'll be done in three weeks, a month. How could you know that at the beginning? Is that a good way to keep you in the moment? because you're making it by hand? It does. It, you know, one thing that I've really learned, and I think it's come with age and with what I do for a living, is patience. When I was younger, I had no patience at all. I wanted everything now, and I, I just had no patience for anything, ever. I have a lot more patience now. I, I'll, I'll sit back and take my time with stuff. And if I'm working on a particular job or a particular piece, and, and I really, in my mind's eye, see it, this way and know that, man, it's going to take me another two days to get it there, then so be it. If it's going to only take me two days to get it there, and at the end of the day, I'm going to be super happy with it, and I'm going to be proud of that piece, what else should I be doing? It's not about sitting down and saying, oh, well, you know, I only budgeted X amount of time for this, and if I spend more time on it, you know, I'm making less money on it. You're happier with it at the end of the day. You're proud of it at the end of the day. How do you feel about there not being shop classes in high schools and somebody's going to a trade school instead of college, that being looked like that's a second-class citizen maybe? Or I went to a college that had an engineering program that was the basis of the college that by the time I got there didn't even have an engineering program anymore because of such a low enrollment rate. I think it's horrible, man. <laughs> We've been around how many thousands of years and just within the last, I don't know, 80 years as a society, we've decided that if you don't go to college, even less than 80 years, what, 50 years, if you don't go to college that you're not smart, you're not this, you're not that, it, right? I mean, right, yeah. that's ridiculous. I mean, it's foolish. And now it's just unfortunate that we've stripped our future of the arts, of working with your hands, of experiencing life and being able to sit back and create just for the sake of creating. 
we've robbed our future of that because we feel that it's in the best interest that they do other things and learn core math. I mean, Jesus, you know, it's ridiculous. So what you're saying is that we don't have any use for trigonometry in the real world? <laughs> no, no. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is that it's a shame that, that we've decided those lessons in life aren't valuable and that, that, that children should get those lessons elsewhere because what's happening in reality is that they're not. They're not getting the exposure to the arts. They're not getting exposure to music, to woodworking, to, to working with their hands. I mean, it's it's sad when you grow up to you go up to a group of kids and you say, "Hey, man, who here can tell me what a Phillips head screwdriver is?" And none of them know that, or they don't know how to use a screwdriver in the first place. I mean, you know, you think that maybe even we're losing bonding processes. Then your grandfather passed down his skills to your father, who passed them down to you. And every day, although you're not doing woodworking for a living, but every day that you go to Voodoo and you make a bike, you are your grandfather's legacy. Yeah. And you know what? Anytime I walk into a woodworking shop, it brings me right back to it because that, that smell, the aroma, the machinery, everything about it, you know, it just, it reminds me of being, you know, eight years old and working on something with them. You know what I mean? And and we are, we're, we're robbing and losing out of those bonding experiences, you know, early on, I don't think it ever made the broadcast openings, but early, 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 teasers when we were going after funding and building funding and stuff one of the lines in the opening was at one time a craftsman made the sword to protect your family at one time the craftsman made the church to worship your god and that really is the truth i mean at one time we were known by what we did not where we worked exactly you were known as joe the blacksmith right or Bob the Mason, and that was you and your legacy and your family. Your son would become a Mason. Your son would become a blacksmith and his son and so forth. That's how we lived as a society and grew, you know, and now we're so far from that. You wouldn't have left. Now, I'm somebody, obviously, we think similarly in that I've always enjoyed not being in the nine to five world more than I have been being in the nine to five world, but you wouldn't have left your nine to five job, if building motorcycles for you wasn't fun, but at the same time you are making a living and you're able to live. Have we forgotten that building things is fun? You know, like I grew up with Legos and I grew up with erector sets and these were toys when you were a kid. I know what it was like before the internet and that's getting lost forever. Yeah. Have we forgotten that you don't have to work in a corporate environment to have fun and still make money at the same time? Yeah, I think it, a lot of it just goes back to what what's important to everybody, you know. And I don't know if you have children or not, but once you start throwing kids into that mix, it, things become really complicated because, you know, now you're looking out for their best interest and, and their health. And now you have to make sure you've got food on the table for everybody. And, but would you say that that fire helps drive you at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. You don't You don't have the option of failure then, you know that could break somebody at the same time, right? I guess maybe when you look at your kids' faces, that's what also keeps you going. You know, it's another connection. You, sure, these, your wife, your kids, so you have a responsibility to them, but there's also that human-to-human connection that if you're sitting in a cube all day, it can be a very lonely existence, but to be around people, to work with your hands, I feel like it, you must feel much more alive as a person. 
Personally, I do. One of the reasons I think that I like to work with my hands so much is because it, as strange as it sounds or goofy, it feeds my soul. No matter what I'm doing, I find peace at it. And I'm okay doing that alone and being there in that moment and enjoying that, that one thing. I think we forget that. We forget what it's like. You know, you bring up, just a little while ago, you mentioned uh, playing with Legos and Tinker Toys, right? And it's one of the examples that I often use when I talk to people is that almost everybody that went to school remembers making a Christmas ornament or making a, a Mother's Day card or Halloween decoration. To learn those skills in school and social skills and whatnot, and you think about the joy that that brought you then and how excited you were. You know, you made a little something for, for Christmas for your mom for a present. And, man, you did that in the beginning of December. There was no way in hell you were going to make it to the 25th. You know what I mean? Yeah. As soon as it came home, you were giving it to them because you were so excited. You know, that was something I made and I did this and this is for you. That's still in us. We just lost how to get it. We just forgot that that exists and, and where that comes from. And that's what really sucks, you know? That's what we need to find again is all that joy and passion that is in us. We just need to unlock it. You just mentioned something also a couple of minutes ago. The joy of unlocking this passion. You said about being alone and doing it. and that, Are you okay with that? I feel like maybe sometimes well, – let me ask you this. Now, we've talked philosophically about – these kinds of things. But at some point you found yourself an apprentice and then you were going to launch your own business. What were the steps that you took at that point in time? Because I want people to, I want, you know, if they agree with the way we're thinking, but I also want them to understand that there are practical steps that you have to take in order to do this. What were the first steps that you took when you decided that you wanted to open up a shop? I first started running the business out of my house, like so many people do. So I, you know, which was good because it allowed me to start developing that brand and that image. And you go through all that stuff and naming your company and registering your company and all the legal stuff that you have to do and the tax stuff you have to do and the licensing and all that jazz. But it also gives you time to get out there. You have low overhead, no overhead almost, you know, you're able to work pretty much as much as you want because you're right there. There's no travel. There's good and bad about it. I think it gives you the time to get things established for yourself and sort of figure out where you want to go and start building a, a customer base and things like that. You know, and that was 16, 17 years ago that I started Voodoo. And I still have clients that I worked on in my garage back then. And they're still with me now. So those things that you're doing then may not seem important, but they are because that's the foundation for everything. How do you, when you're starting something like that, stay sane in the sense that you know that even on the back end of some great times, there might be some harder times again. I think sometimes what keeps people who want to start a business in their job is that it's safe. That, and even though today's world, jobs are becoming less safe anyway. So I feel like you have to be entrepreneurial, but that's my opinion. But how do you keep yourself sane in running a business where you know that that hustle is there? And you, like you said, you keep your overhead as low as you can. What makes you be able to do it and keep yourself positive and go all the time? 
I'm much better when I've got way too much stuff going on. And, you know, my days are overwhelming. I've got to be somewhere by 8 a.m. and I've got to be somewhere at 8 p.m. And you're just booked up constantly. That's when, when I enjoy things because that keeps me going. I don't like it when there's not enough going on. You know what I mean? The self-doubt um, creep in or, you know, the I feel, I feel lazy. You know what I mean? And I, I almost feel like I'm not doing, like I'm not doing something. I should be doing more. But it's, it's really hard for me, really hard for me. My schedule opens up a ton when we're not shooting. And, and then all of a sudden I feel like I'm not like, oh, my gosh, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. And, you know, you start scrambling to, to find more projects, you know, to put on your plate. But I don't, I don't know. I, you know, honestly, I don't think entrepreneurship is for everybody. To because me, there are bad times that are going to come and they do suck. <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's for everybody, you know, because I don't think everybody would enjoy it. I don't know. Sometimes you, you'll meet somebody and you'll, they'll ask you what you do and you tell them what you do. And they, they think if you own your own business, then man, oh man, you've got to be doing great. That might be true for a lot of people, but it's far from the truth for most, I believe. And I think it is really hard and it is really stressful and it is sometimes real crappy decisions and sacrifice. Now you've been on both sides, two year backlog of orders, 2008 happens. The, you know, late 2008, there's an economic downturn. You're from Detroit. People who aren't from Detroit, you hear all kinds of stories about what has happened in Detroit since, you know, I guess the car industries have folded up shop and, and left. When you come from a place like that, does it make you tougher? to see that, to know that you can survive it in tough times. And one thing about Detroit, a lot rides on the auto industry. So it doesn't only affect the people that work directly for the auto industry. You know, the people that work at Ford and the people that work at the, the other auto manufacturers, but it affects everybody because there's so many thousands of people and businesses that support the different tiers that are all around Detroit. So when I was growing up and prior to the 2000s, man, you know, you'd go down a stretch of nine mile and it would just, just loaded with job shops, you know, small little independent <clears throat> machine shops, family owned businesses, maybe a couple guys working there. And, you know, they were making, some widget that was being used on this vehicle. They supplied one of the tiers that supplied another tier that supplied another tier that supplied the manufacturer. So that's why Detroit economy is always based and goes up and down with the auto manufacturers. They say Detroiters are tough because we can, we can go with the ebb and flow like that. And cause you, you learn it, you, you're, you live it. You know, chances are, if you live around here, you're tied to the auto industry in one way or the other. may not be directly, but in one way or the other, you're tied to it. That has a lot to do with Detroiters. Plus, you know, we just don't give up. I mean, Jesus, for how many years everybody talks crap about Detroit and how, how bad it is and how scary it is and all this other stuff. And now we're kicking everybody's ass because Detroit's awesome. But now everybody else is learning that. We've known it. I've known it my whole life. 
and everybody else that's from the area has known it their whole life. But, you know, now the rest of the world is catching on that spotlight. I've been all over the place, and I've been to a lot of wonderful cities and beautiful places, but there's nothing like Detroit. Yeah, it's home. You wouldn't be able to be in business there making custom motorcycles. There was no market for it based in Detroit. I do a lot of business out of state, too. I love what I do, and I'm, I'm glad I'm in Detroit. And that's another thing that I take for granted a lot of times. You know, for me, it's no big deal to get supplies. I can drive five minutes and be at a metal shop and picking up raw material, four by eight sheets of uh, 18 gauge cold rolled and 24 sticks of, you know, one inch DOM tubing to build a frame. I don't have to think about it. Right. Why go um, anywhere else? Not everybody has that luxury, you know, like if you don't live in an area that does a lot of manufacturing, man, you got to think it through and order up and get in and all this other stuff. If I run out of material, I just, I go there and get it and I'm back at work. You mentioned to me off air that you had been working on putting a Crestman's legacy together for about six years. Yeah, it was like about five or six years. Yeah. Where did the inspiration come from for a Crestman's legacy? from all the craftsmen, <laughs> you know, from all the people that have amazing stories. Because, uh, you know, it sounds funny, but when I was traveling a lot with Voodoo and doing a lot of different bike shows and meeting a lot of people, I would not only meet other craftsmen, but I would meet people that wanted to get into the industry. And so a lot of people would ask, well, I want to build motorcycles for a living. How do I do it? I want to learn how to shape sheet metal for a living. How do I do it? Where do I go? Who do I talk to? So it was sort of a, a culmination of, of that, being exposed to so many different craftsmen and then realizing that so many people are doing things that are these skills are going to die. And society's not aware of the fact that there's somebody doing this. Right. You know, I was at lunch earlier today with a gentleman and we were talking a little bit about the show, and, and I told him that you can go to a store and buy a, a wicker basket for, say, $5 and not think twice about it. I know for a fact there's quite a few craftsmen that they're basket makers, and, and they make beautiful, extraordinary wicker baskets that are so elegant and so beautiful. People don't think about that. They just well, I'm going to go spend $5 and get this and I'm happy with it. Well, what if you saw this over here that John is making and how beautiful it is? And you know what? It's $50, but it's going to last you a lifetime. Right. That's something you can give to somebody else and it's not going to fall apart. And you're helping him sustain his life. And so many good things come from that. So that's where the inspiration came from. When you're putting together a television show like this, you were just telling me a story, by the way, and I had this vision of the story of John Henry versus the machine. But at the end of the day, like we mentioned earlier, somebody can hand weave a wicker basket and it's beautiful. But if that skill completely goes out the window, how can you teach a machine to make it for you? You need the people. Somebody has to know how to make these things or nobody can make them. No machine can make them. Yeah, they get replaced. Right. And then we're using some plastic for it. To me, that's a dangerous line because, okay, so let's say motorcycles are suddenly only made by a machine and you're obsolete what you do. Well, then what about the guy who can hand paint something on the motors? You know what I mean? It, it, it's kind of like you're saying there's a tiered effect in the Detroit economy. 
to me, with Craftsman, there's tiers there too. If I don't know how to create art anymore, then there's no such thing as a graphic designer because it's still coming out of that at the end of the day. Absolutely true. I mean, all of us, you know, we're just a library, right? We're just holding on to this knowledge. And it's our job to make sure that that knowledge that we have is being loaned out and passed to other people so that they can continue to grow and build on it and pass it down. And when we forget that that's what we're here for, we start losing and we start losing skills and crafts. They're really hard to get back. Impossible. Do you think maybe some of the hoarding of knowledge is fear that if I tell you my skills, it'll diminish my skill because then you can do it too? I think those people are assholes. (laughs) Okay, good. Thank you. I'm glad you said that. (laughs) Because, you know, it's not your knowledge to hoard to begin with. You know, you might be really good at what you're doing and that's fantastic. But you know what? You're going to take that to the grave and you're killing how many people and how many people that could be sharing and doing and building on that knowledge that you have. That's selfish and idiotic. I have no tolerance for people like that because we've come across it in casting before where people are reluctant because they they feel they have some proprietary information that they don't want broadcast. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) what you're doing is a thousand years old. What, what is it that you think you have on this that can't be shared and has, you, you know, it's got to go to your grave. I got no patience for that, man. They're just blind. If you teach me how to make handmade motorcycles. He's if I teach more- you how to do my job, my goal is that you're, you'll succeed me and be better at it. Right. Because it's, yeah. about the, it's about the craft. That's right. Then I know I've done my job and that I've handed that information on and I've, sharing that knowledge and helping somebody else expand their knowledge. That's what it's about. The last thing I want to do is go to the grave with a whole bunch of information that I I wasn't able to teach other people, man. That would suck. I could not agree more. And you've got people that you're, say, glassblower, a woodworker, a blacksmith. These are trades to me that the more people who can do something, the more value. If I know how to make custom bikes, like you're saying, that makes you have more value then because we're, we're, like you said earlier, you know some college-educated people who are dumb as a rock. To me, we're all teachers. You teach your kids, you teach your wife. You know, we, we all pick up skills from each other. It's a constant learning experience in life. One might say that, okay, I went to an art school that taught me various skills, and you build custom motorcycles. So we're doing two completely different things. But it's just, to me, the outlet is what's different, but the craft is the same. It's, it's passion. passion. It's passion. Yeah, exactly. And it comes out to me so much in you as you're the host of A Craftsman's Legacy, and you're going around talking to these other craftsmen. That passion, I can see it all over your face in the shows because it's great. You're, it's like it's exciting. Like I said, man, it's a blessed life because I get to meet all these amazing people and listen to these stories that are truly inspiring. And then I get to just work with them for a couple days. And I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's a bomb. I get excited every time we do it and it's all kinds of different things. You know, season two, season one, we stayed really traditional and we tried to stick with things that were very fundamental and building our world, our society. And in season two, we've started to expand that a little bit. So we got into 
a food a little bit. We worked with a cheese maker, started getting into working with textiles and things. So we did weaving and we did quilting and a lot more woodworking. And we started to expand this reach a little bit. And now we've got a cast for 13 that goes from a gentleman in his 20s up to a woman who's in her late 70s. So it's a, a really wide range and diverse group of people and topics. How does this happen then? We talked about the, the inception of the idea of the inspiration to have a Craftsman's Legacy be a thing, and now it's a thing. Once you figured out, okay, this is what I think I want it to be, what'd you do next? We started putting together what we thought the show could be and then started pitching it. We were all really strong on the fact that PBS was the right home for the show. I had no interest in going anywhere else with it. And that's what we did. We went to PBS and they really loved the idea and thought it would be great. We talked to Ford very early on and they believed in us and they are fantastic to work with. And they got behind it and see it for what it is and see the value in it. And they've gotten fully behind it. So we've been very blessed with that. And they're a great company to work with. And that's the cool thing about Ford though, is that it's, you know, Ford's always been a company of innovation. Legacy and history to them is very important. And you see it today. Did your experience with Voodoo Choppers come into play where, I mean, obviously it did, but specifically you said you, you had a pitch and you had to put the show together. You're used to putting yourself out there. That's how, mm-hmm. you, that's how you make a living. You, you put yourself out there every day. When it came time to do this, did you find that you were more comfortable with it? Or was it also because you believed in the Craftsman's Legacy? This was something that you had sat down and thought out. You felt at ease, I'm assuming, even though you just said, we're going to keep pushing and this will work. It's always easy for me to talk about the show and the passion that goes into it and the craftsmen and the things that we want to do. But, you know, I've actually got a, a executive producer that he's the one that sells it and we work together. He's the one that has, you know, the numbers and all this other stuff and the demographics and all that jazz. And, and I'm the one that can talk to it and sit there and say, this is what I do and this is how I do it. And it works out great for us to be able to work that way. You know, with Voodoo, I sell the bike and I tell people, I'm like, you know, try to try to sell a $100,000 bike with hand gestures because that's that's what I do, you know, <laughs> a $40,000 bike. There's no drawings. It's with talk. This is what I do for a living. And this is, these are pictures and all the other stuff. And this is what I'm going to do for you. But you have to have some blind faith in the fact that you need to allow me to understand you and be able to build something that is just going to blow you away, you know? You're selling people then on your passion, really. That's you are. Because we're just talking, and I can hear it in your voice, and I trust you because I know you're being honest. But there's also that fact that you're being honest with yourself then because you know this is what I really want. And everybody in this world has something that they really want. And they can all go follow. It's like you're saying, nobody woke up or nobody came out of their mother's womb as a gun maker. That didn't work that way. You would have pulled them away from that family that day. They would have never been a gun maker, even if they had it in their genes. We have it it in us. We had to learn. Everybody has day one. You just got to find that. But the passion is, that's what drives you. And that's what keeps you going. And I appreciate the fact that 
you say you trust me from hearing me talk, but that's the God's truth. I'm not a heavy sales guy. I'm not a hard sell or closer guy. And I, I tell people straight up, I'm like, dude, I am not for everybody. I'm picky. I don't take every job. I'll take my time with things. I don't rush things. If I'm not happy with it, I will start over again. It's how I do things. At the end of the day, they're getting everything that you had for that period That's of time correct. put into that That's bike. Every fiber of who you are. That's correct. That's the trade-off. That's the payout for them. There's trust involved with it, but you hopefully realize at the end of the project that what you got is something few people bring to the table. You said something that I really appreciate. You said everybody has day one. And I think sometimes that fear of failure or the fear of judgment is what's going to hold people back. We have to remember that everybody's got day one somewhere. Then you'll have day two. And John Wilson talks about progressive perfection in the woodworking episode where your best work today will be a little bit less than tomorrow because tomorrow mm -hmm. you'll have learned something from today. And if people aren't afraid of, you know, like you mentioned earlier, everybody's ideal for what good money is, is different. And there's no such thing as best money. That doesn't exist anywhere. Like there's no such thing as the best because the best today is not the best tomorrow. So I love that bit of advice that everybody has day one because then everybody will have day two. You take little bites every day and you get better and better. You'll be better tomorrow. And that's the, one of the things that drives me is I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. So the next gas tank that I make, I want it to be just a little bit better than the one I did previous to it. Are you the kind of guy who, if you ever have a day or a moment where you know that you didn't quite push yourself to the point that you knew you could, are you the kind of person who, like, what the fuck, Why, what, what was wrong? You're, you're mad at yourself for not giving oh, yeah. it that oomph that you could have. Get disappointed. Now, some people, though, they're afraid to face that. They're afraid to look in the mirror and say to themselves, you could have pushed a little harder there. When you do push harder and you really make that, bike that you love the way it turned out and you're proud of your work what's the emotion behind that then even for a guy who's hard on himself like you when you do succeed what's the emotion for you inside hey, well are you have you ever been afraid of doing something have you ever been afraid of heights of course everybody has of something and then when you do that that overwhelming joy and there's relief there's joy there's you know what i mean it just is an amazing feeling that hopefully will drive you the next time that you get in that position. You know, and I think it will because like you were saying, when you have too much free time on your hands, that's not good. You like to be going and doing, even if it's to the I point hate, where you're. Yeah. I hate that because it's like, you feel like you're not doing enough. You're not working hard enough. You're being lazy. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. So in getting to talk to now 26 people in two seasons of a Craftsman's legacy, you're learning things too along the way and I'm trying to get into your head and I'm thinking that you must, you love the travel to get to go meet somebody and the road life and that aspect of it. And you love to be able to talk to these people and you're picking things up and cause you could see it all over the experience. It's broadcast for everybody. What were some of the things that like some of your highs, your kernels that you loved? You know, I'm always drawn towards the metalworking. Those, those shows are always fun for me because it's oftentimes close to my, my world, you know, so there's a, a bit of a comfort level there. I also really like the things that I've never experienced because it's a 
totally different challenge for me. And there's a lot of things where I'm just not used to it, especially if you have to be really delicate with something, you know, and, you know, I'm so used to just crushing everything with your paws all the time, you know, so I went to a, a creamery and worked with um, a cheesemaker, a master cheesemaker, and those guys work in the middle of the night. So our shooting schedule was actually 2 a.m. to noon. Okay. Well, we just came off another shoot that wrapped at like three or four and then drove two hours, got something to eat, went to bed, and then got up at midnight. That was tough. And, man, those guys kicked my ass. That's really a lot of physical labor. I mean, you're lifting and picking this up, putting it down, and moving this, moving that, and flipping the cheese. And so many times it's got to be rotated. It was a lot of work, man. I was sweating at the end of the day, man. But it was a great experience. I'd never done anything like that before. It was amazing. The smile is genuine. It's like you're saying, it's about the experience of getting to do something. Yeah. I mean, it was so, and uh, Bruce, the master cheesemaker, he was, he was amazing. I mean, super intelligent, all the chemistry behind it and everything else. It was, it was truly amazing and pretty inspiring. This guy, he started this, started well, himself. He had a day one somewhere and now look at yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. I worked with uh, some shoemakers out of Brooklyn. That was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, but we were there for, I think we were in New York for like five days or six days, something like that. They were a lot of fun to work with, though. They, It's two ladies, and they hand make shoes. And that was just amazing to find out how many steps are involved with uh, a pair of handmade shoes. And the amount of time, you know. It's not a time thing about like how long you have to wait. It's the process that's involved. They measure your feet, then they make a lasting, which is that wooden mold. Mm -hmm. Then they make a pair for you to walk around with. And then once you're happy with that, they make the final pair that you actually ordered. So it was really amazing how many hours goes into a pair of handmade shoes, you know. And when you look at it that way, they're expensive, but well worth it. It's going to pay for itself over time again and again. They said that they feel like slippers. You can't even really tell you have a shoe on. You know, that's how comfortable they are because they're truly made for your foot. And they'll last you a lifetime. Again, you know, we live in such a consumer-based society where it's cheaper to manufacture things by machine and then turn them over and turn them over and you keep having to buy a new computer every three years and blah, blah, blah. But there are these craftsmen, these handmade things. You pour your heart and soul into a motorcycle every time you make it. And I'm sure it's lasting whoever buys it more than three years. They can last it as long as they want it, you know, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I bet if something goes haywire, they know they can call you because you built it from the ground. You can say, oh, okay, I can see why this would do this. And there's that specialty pride and the relationship that comes there. You know, if I come to you and you have clients that you have had since they were buying things from you from your home before you had a shop and they're going to be there and going to tell their children, as long as you're making bikes, you've got them, you know, now that you've been doing this for, you said 16, 17 years, you've been running your own shop. It's been longer than that since you were apprenticing. You have a legacy that you're building as you move forward. What do you want that to be? What lessons would you want somebody like myself or anybody to learn from you that you can pass on to people as you advance yourself? I want my daughter to be happy and proud and think I did a good job. And 
I would hope that at the end of the day, she would look back and think that maybe a couple people were inspired to go out and do something different with their lives or or maybe a couple people were inspired to work with their hands a little bit and, and make something or make a gift. That would be cool for me. I'd be happy with that legacy. I don't you know that. That's such a, a simple but true and great legacy. And it's kind of like what you just said about you can live without all, a bunch of BS. You don't need that. It's like you remove the clutter and what's there is the truth. And it's so much simpler and nicer in a lot of ways. It's easier. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a lot easier. Yeah, it, <laughs> I, it absolutely is. I think it's kind of like you blow the, the dust off the book and then you know what it is. You know, How far down the road do you look? Are you somebody who now you're building custom bikes from scratch and you're doing all kinds of other things too. You have a shooting schedule that happens certain times of the year. Does that force you to take it one day at a time? Are you somebody who likes to plan things out? Do you have recommendations to people? I know eventually where I'd like to end up. Eventually I'd like to, to end up on some property in a nice little cabin and a river by that I can fish in all the time and, and a good little shop. I can, you know, make some art and make stuff in and teach other people and maybe sell something, maybe not. And I'm hoping we get to do the show for a long time because there's a lot of great stories I'd like to tell and a lot of amazing people that I'd like the world to meet. So I'm really hoping that I get to do this for a long time because I, I truly love it. Let me ask you this too. Because you're in business for yourself, obviously, is there no such thing as a typical week? Or can you, at this point in your career and life, can you rely on certain things to say like, oh, okay, I know that every Wednesday I'm, I'm going to go and do this. and, Or is it really a lot of it by like flying by the seat of your pants? Uh, there's a couple things that, that I've learned, you know. Um, when I first started the, my business, man, I worked 24-7, literally. Seven days a week I was in my shop and I was there 16 hours a day easy, easy. I don't do that anymore. I know certain nights a week I have dinner with my daughter, always. Very, very rarely break that. I will if we're traveling, but other than that, I, I very rarely break that. And I very rarely work Saturday and Sunday at the shop. If I go in Saturday, I go in for my own purpose, to do my own stuff, and I don't tell anybody I'm there. <laughs> because the, the work's always going to be there. You know, we've only got so many Saturdays and Sundays in our life to enjoy what's around us. And, you know, if there's anything I've learned in the past 17 years is to take time and enjoy the experience that you're having and what you're doing right now. And I have a hard time with that because I, I have a really hard time sitting back and understanding where I'm at today and what we're doing today because I'm always thinking about tomorrow and I'm always worried about tomorrow. But I really try to, to remind myself of that more and more. Enjoy the experience of whatever it is you're doing. I try to tell myself every day to just be present and everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. You know? No matter who you are, no matter what you do for a living or what your hobbies are, it's got to be the hardest thing to do, to be in the moment as much as possible because that's just life, you know, but it's so important. Like you just said, you do, you do only have so much Saturdays. You do only have so much time to spend with your loved ones and 
as great as work can be, even if it's your passion, those other inspirational things, they, they add to that as well. You spread those eggs around. I work hard and I work a lot and I'm proud of it. I love what I do. I truly do. But man, when I die, I don't want my daughter to think, well, my dad worked all the time. That would suck. And I want to experience as much as I can and enjoy those experiences, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Season two of The Craftsman's Legacy starts airing in certain markets on September 6th. It's a different rollout. You know, it depends on where you are. It's going to start airing at a different time. Yep. If someone wants to watch The Craftsman's Legacy and they're unsure about their own personal market, is there a website that they can go to? Can they go to pbs.com? Can they go to craftsmanslegacy.com? The easiest way is to go to, to our website, craftsmanslegacy.com, and all you do is you put in your zip code or you can select by city, and it'll tell you the schedule for your market. Some cities are rolling in September. Some will roll in in October and November. Uh, and last year we were in like 90% of the nation. I think this year will probably, hopefully, be in that same coverage, if not more. So it's there for everybody to see eventually. You might not get it right away, but you will get it. But one thing we're doing this year, we started the Legacy Society, which if you want to watch episodes online, you just have to go to our site and you join the Legacy Society. And we don't do anything with it. The biggest reason we do that is so you're not seeing somebody else's ads before our show runs because Ford believed in us. And I want you to understand that. And I don't want you to see some other stupid ass ad before watching our show and watching that commitment Ford made to us. So that's the reason we do that. I've seen the new Ford spots that you did. I mean, I've spent the last eight years working in advertising and I watched them and I was like, these are fucking fantastic ads. I love them. It's not, the Ford branding is not overpowering to the point where it's so obvious. It feels like life and it just, you just happen to be a Ford brand ambassador, which you are. So uh, people should definitely go to the YouTube channel also and check those out because they're fantastic. And Yeah. You know, we did a series of six spots for Ford and five of them are up right now. And they're, I mean, they're so cool. They're very, it is about the truck because that's what we're doing. We're, we're using the truck, but it's, the spots are really cool, you know, and all the little details of the truck and stuff. And I don't think it really is jamming it down anybody's throat. It's just, no, not at all. It's a cool truck. It's the best yeah. thing, the best truck I've ever owned. And there's, we've got shop tips that are going to start rolling out. So every craftsman we did this year did a shop tip for us. So we've got 13 shop tips that are going to roll out. we got episode teasers for all 13. Those are going to start rolling out soon. Got a lot of cool stuff going on. And so if people sign up on craftsmanslegacy.com, let's say that they're in a market where it doesn't air until October 1st. Can they see season two, episode one, as soon as it starts to air? No, I won't release that until December. Okay. But they can see all of season one as well if they missed it. See all season one right now. And season two will start streaming online in December. Is there anything that you felt I should have covered and did not cover? Anything that you'd like to add? Anything that you want to plug? Not really. <laughs> it was a great interview, dude. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. I'm going to tell people, and I'll say this on Prologue, but I can't spell to save my life, and it's craftsmanslegacy.com. <laughs> but I want to thank you for sitting down and talking to me. We've never met. This is the first time we've ever spoken, and you're talking to me about your legacy and your life, and 
we want to have self-validation. We want to do things for ourselves. And I think it's always important. And I hope that if people listen to this, and they will, I think, you help people move forward today. And I really I appreciate that so much. I want to thank you for doing that just by telling your story. Oh, well, I hope so, man. I mean, everybody's got a story to tell. You know, everybody's got a book in them, right? I'm grateful for the opportunity to tell mine. Hopefully, it'll help one person. <laughs> I think it definitely will. Thank you. Eric, I want to say thank you once again for giving me your time, for being so open and willing to discuss the many things that have happened in your life that have affected you positively and have allowed you to move yourself forward and build your legacy. If you love the interview with Eric, you can start to tune into Season 2 of A Craftsman's Legacy this coming week. Make sure to go to craftsmanslegacy.com to check out the local television market schedule. Eric will be appearing visually to all of you if you decide to do that, and you'll see how much fun he is having as he gets to explore their trades with him. It's up to us to pass down this information from generation to generation. It's up to us to teach our children and our children's children the good things that we know have existed in our lives. And that also brings self-validation and value. When someone turns to us and asks us how we approach something, they're doing it because they respect the way we think and they respect our opinion. There's nothing more empowering than that. Connecting with each other and understanding that we are all important, we are all part of a collective consciousness, we are all building one giant legacy as well as individual legacies, the legacy of this entire planet and everything that's currently on it. And uh, it's always better when we can share who we are with someone else because we're all much more alike than we are different. And like Eric says, and I agree, we're all craftsmen, we're all creators, we're all doers. I want to thank you once again for tuning into Breaking Walls, episode 22. The next podcast that I release will be on the 10th of this month, September 2015. And if you didn't hear on the opening and you want to get more of these podcasts, you can please go to soundcloud.com slash thewallbreakers. That's T-H-E-W-A-L-L-B-R-E-A-K-E-R-S. You can follow us there. You can search for The Wall Breakers on iTunes and subscribe. Then anytime a new podcast is released, it'll be automatically pushed to any computer, mobile device, tablet that you have with an iTunes or podcast app. It's September now. The leaves are going to start changing. The air is going to get a little bit brisk. The days are getting shorter. Baseball is coming to an end, but football, basketball, and hockey are coming back. We're going to start taking all of the joy that we brought into our lives outside of the home this summer into our home with get-togethers, with family parties, with potlucks, with Halloween, with Thanksgiving, with Christmas season and Hanukkah season. And we're going to keep getting out there, guys. Keep breaking those walls. To break the walls in our lives is to establish the basis from which happiness can be built upon. Get out there, break those walls. My name is James Scully. This has been Breaking Walls, episode number 22. I'll see you in 10 days, and I'll catch you on the flip side.
Thank you very much.